we were in negotiations for investing in real estate. They're winning, they're making money. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast, where we provide the education you can build on. I am your host, Kevin Amalsh. I am loving this podcast because we get to help real estate investors and real estate professionals that would like real estate investors as clients make more money. So whether you're an investor or you're a real estate vendor professional, producing content, helping investors, this is the podcast for you. I have a very special guest with me today, Mike Jack. I am so excited for this interview because... As we were saying right before I hit record, I've known you for 10 years and we haven't really gotten into your story, but here's what I do know for the listener. 30 years in this business and it's almost strictly in the residential side. So you know residential real estate. In fact, when you sent me over your bio, you started as a well a handyman first, but then you went into uh, being a, a broker or a realtor mm-hmm. the same year I was going into high school and and. I've been doing this for 20 years, so (laughs) you got me beat here. Um, So yeah, Mike, welcome to the show, man. Well, thanks, Kevin. I'm looking forward to this. All right. Well, let's start by telling us, I gave you a, I gave a real short intro there because what I like is for our guests to tell us about themselves. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about you and then we're going to go through your story and how you got into real estate and real estate investing? Sure. Like, well, like you said, I've been uh, in real estate to some capacity for over 30 years. I started out pretty much right out of high school myself, not so much in real estate, but just getting interested in finances and looking for alternatives. You know, as a, I always had that small business entrepreneurial mindset and I stumbled across a, a training program on finances and, and stocks. And I bought into that program. And from there, people start talking about real estate as a good vehicle, but I never, at that point, I still didn't, wasn't interested in real estate from the standpoint of an investment. Cause I was still working a full-time job and, you know, just playing around with things that back in the day. And I got, I decided to go to one of those training courses and I picked up a rental property. So that was probably in 1989 or 90 when I bought my first property and it was a wreck. It needed a lot of work. Uh, it took me a year of, playing around with it. You know, I was getting, you know, I just, um, I was engaged to get married at that time. So her and I were working on the property and living in it. And, you know, you know, everyone struggles when they first start out, all the funny things that we think about now, but it was, you know, traumatic to us back in those days. So I, I did that for a while. And then I never really got back into the real estate side of it at that point. I still kept on working my full-time job. I still was looking at the, the, the investing side of things. And then, you know, as a funny little story, we, I started working with well, the one company I was working for, they were a small mom and pop computer repair program. Cause I was doing uh, tech support. And one of the programs or one of the accounts I got for was Minnesota mutual. And their job was to fix these HP 12 C's. Yeah. Well, there's oh, nothing to cool. fix them. If they break, the only way you can break these things is spill coffee or water or something on them and fry out the circuit board. So literally my job was to go pick up these, you know, broken ones at the company because they had, you know, a whole floor. Back in the day, you got to realize <clears throat> the only way to do a mortgage calculation or a amortization schedule or even for the like the accountants to figure out what your <clears throat> um, deductible interest is going to be was with an HP-12C. <clears throat> So there was a million of these things out there. And it was the only way to do that. Because we didn't have the computer programs and software programs and Excel spreadsheets that could do that at the time. So we got the account. Literally, as I would do is I would go to the, the location. They would have a box with all these broken ones in. And so I would inventory them you know, and categorize them. And then I would take the one out and then I'd replace it with a good one. Right. So, But the first time we did this, when we went to this company... We brought them back to our office. We ordered up all the new circuit boards from HP. They came in, we put them in and we started running numbers and like the calculators are broken. Like, why won't they work? Why couldn't we even get the most basic number like two plus two to equal four? So nobody could figure out how to use this calculator. Well, you guys, so for those of you that are listening and not watching on YouTube, he's holding up an antique here. (laughs) Yes, this is an antique. I've never even seen one of those. it's, It's the original financial calculator and it's based on reverse pollution notation. And so it, you can't go two plus two equals, you know, it's, it uses a different process to get to the same results. Okay. But 
it gets there faster than a normal calculator because back in the day we didn't have programs. This literally was a software program inside this calculator. So what happened was because we couldn't figure out how to make it work and we were reading the instruction booklets and talking to everyone, nobody could figure it out. So one of the owners said, well, they use this in real estate and a friend of mine is doing a real estate training over in White Bear Lake. So we'll just register Mike to go to this class. So I went to the class and it was a real estate class and the teacher was teaching you how to run mortgage uh, mortgage calculations. And that's when all this stuff that I've been learning about finance finally clicked into me. <clears throat> oh, wow. And the power of compounding interest. And that's where my interest in real estate ha really happened. And so that was in 91. And so- And you already owned a rental property that- Well, you bought the first rental, house. Yeah, I had one. Yeah, so well, you... it, it wasn't a rental property at that time. It was a property that we bought. I ended up turning it into a rental property about got two it. years later. And okay, so, so at the bought... time you got- at this story that you're sharing with us, I'm sorry to interrupt, Mike, but I'm just making sure I'm following here. So you got really excited about real estate from that calculator and seeing the calculations in this class. Were you, was that before or after you converted your primary into a rental? That was before. Okay. So okay. Before got it. Now, I'm, now I'm with you. Right. So I was still, we bought it as an investment property and then we, but we ended up moving into it because we got thought it. Okay, it was, it was a cheap property. You know, and we were young and struggling and financially struggling. So we ended up moving into the property while we were working on it. And our intent was to do a quick flip on it and then rent it out and then move to another property. And then we just didn't do anything for over a year at that point. So I, that's where I really got interested in real estate. And my full total focus changed at that moment. And I started learning real estate. And then in 92, I went and got my real estate license because I was still struggling to find education and training on real estate. So by then we'd already converted my property into a rental property and I was looking for, and we bought another property, same thing, but it wasn't as extensive as the, as the first one. And then that property, we ended up living in that one for a long time, but we had the one rental property, that one, and I was struggling to find more and understand this whole investing. So I went and got my real estate license because we didn't have a RIA back in the time. In fact, it was in the late nineties when I started traveling around the country and going to all the additional training and people would say, well, just go back to your local RIA. And I'm like, what's that? Never even heard the term RIA because we didn't have one. There was no real estate investor association. And I didn't know of any little networking groups or anything like that at the time. So there was nothing there. And so I went and got my real estate license in 92. And then I started working with uh, investors and helping them. And then from that, I was able to do my own. And then I got, it was in 97 when my broker, so I'd done a couple of rehabs at that point. Now I was rehabbing properties and my broker had came to me and said, Mike, you need to step up your game because working with these small little deals and working with these investors is not bringing in the revenue. So you either have to change what you're doing or, or you're gone. And I flat out told my broker, or my the manager of that broker's office, I said, well, I'm not going to change. So literally two weeks later, he sent my license back to the state. Oh my like, god, You're gone. So I went at that point, I had a friend who was a broker. He held my license for the next six months or so while I went and did the training. Cause I got my two years in now, you know, by then I got like five years in. <clears throat> and so I went and got my uh, broker's license and I've been, then I got this. So I was a 97 ish, 98, I think when I finally got the license. And then I had my broker's license until 2015. So, it was so right through, right through the crash. So when did you, I want to go into the crash because we all have our scars from that. And I don't talk to a lot of people that actually experienced it like you and I did. Um, but before that, Minria, when did you start that? 2002. Okay, so started so 2002, but just so you started as a networking that. thing, not as a, started as a RIA. I just started networking with other investors and it grew into a RIA. Okay, so this is before the crash also. Considerably um, before, yes. Okay, and you're one of the smartest guys I know. I know you're high tech, you know all of that stuff, which confused the shit out of me. But you're also very good at uh, market trends and statistics, and you track all of that. Um, so take me back to 2007 when you were coming up to the crash. Like, What were you invested in at that time? And, and yeah, I guess where were you in your career? Well... Probably back up a little bit before then. Okay. Probably 2004, 2005. I knew something was wrong. You did know. Oh, yeah. It was flat out dead obvious there was something wrong in 2004, 2005. 
but I couldn't okay. figure out what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it and I kept fighting it and I was fighting it for a couple of years and I, I was still chugging along and doing stuff and doing really well with the brokerage because the brokerage was taken off because it was, I mean, we were making good money during, during the brokerage, but yeah. I knew something was wrong. And so I, I kind of like backed off. I'm like, the market's going to change. The market's going to turn. And I just kept on chugging along and it didn't. And I couldn't, I didn't know why. So after a while, those concerns that I had went away and I just started believing the hype. Then I really started digging in. And now I made a lot of money through the brokerage and I started investing in some new construction and I partnered up with some people on some commercial stuff that, and that was probably around 2007, 2008. And guess what? 2008, 2009, I lost all that. Yeah. So, yeah it was pretty tough uh, for several years after that. So how long after the crash hit you, did you, I guess, get the confidence to go out and buy again? When did you start um, buying again? I shouldn't say I ever lost my confidence for buying. Okay. Uh, I started, we started buying again in late 2010, early 2011, but because we were buying the same properties for, you know, the properties that we were buying for $200,000, we were now buying them for 40 grand. I know it's insane. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like, and now I got, you know, got out from underneath. I had 40 some properties that, you know, rental properties at that when the market crashed. And by the end of 2011, I only had three left. So, so it's time to rebuild. Right. And so we started rehabbing because, I mean, there, that's all we could do. And because we had, they had the tax credits come out, the Obama plan. Uh, right. I don't remember. First what time homebuyers. Yeah. But they could get like a 7000 or 9000 or whatever dollars it was as a non, you know, as a tax credit that they never had to pay back. Right. I remember so that. So that's when the buyer started buying, but they wanted properties that were renovated. Well, one of the things that happened before when the market crashed, before the market crashed and everyone was always refinancing. And that's one of the reasons why the market crashed last time is because they kept refinancing and yep. rolling it over. Well, they weren't fixing out the properties. They were just they were just using it as their, their properties as their personal ATM. So then mm -hmm. most of those houses were in disrepair. So most of the houses that are coming through the foreclosure process would not qualify for an FHA loan. And even the conventional lenders didn't want to touch them because they were in such disrepair. So we started picking them up for cash. And I was pri using private money, like what you do. Right. So I was using private money at the time to pick up those properties and then we were renovating them and then turn around and sell them to FHA buyers or getting the credit from the, from the government on that. Did you hold on to any of those? I did not. Oh, I wish man. <laughs> that, that, that was my little bit of a fear, but cause I had to rebuild. So I needed the yeah. cash. I needed, I mean, I was a couple hundred thousand dollars upside down. I lost $2 million. And at that time I was still a couple, I was still probably a 200, $150,000 to $200,000 in the hole. And yeah. I had to build myself out of that. So, and I had a partner, so we were, we were turning everything. Yeah, that's great. So for me, I, I went, I went through the exact same thing you did, wrecked my credit, all of those things. And then I just started bringing in credit partners to help me buy these properties. And I kept, I still have some that I bought in 2010 and 11, same kind of thing here in Denver. I was paying 40, 50 grand for houses that were renting for 1200 bucks a month. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Now those houses are selling for 400,000. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Yeah. I, I so wish I had them, but you know what? I, I don't regret it. And I talk to so many people all the yeah. time. You can't. Say, oh, I regret it. And then they have all these regrets. Well, you can't regret anything. You just have to, this is what happened. You move, learn your lessons from it and move on. If you regret, yeah. if you regret things and dwell on, on the missed opportunities, that's the worst thing you can do. You think we have another 2008 coming? No, not a 2008 style real estate crash. Well, depends on what you, what your aspect is. As I talk to different people too, they come from different backgrounds. So when I say 2008, I think about the housing crash. Mm -hmm. Me too. Really 2008 was a financial crash. It's just the real estate is what took it down. Yeah, exactly. This is not what's going to take it down this time. And I think because of the, I don't know what you guys are like. I was just out in Denver a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I didn't spend a lot of time there. I only spent a couple of days there. I went and spoke for one of the Rias out there and then went, went and took the bike and cruise around the, the mountains for a few days. And You have to tell me when you come out here and I'll I, go buy you a beer. Damn it. I know. <laughs> I even thought about it, but I knew I didn't have any time. Okay. So I was I was only there. I had When I was there, I was 
working. I was there for two days and I think I was working for three quarters of that time. So uh, if I was free, I might've come out into the RIA and supported you. Well, I should have thought about that. I didn't even think about that, but sir. Uh, all right. Next time we'll do that. Next time. Okay. Yeah. Well, they, they told me that the, they want me to come out every summer. So oh, good. Maybe I, I will do that. Just come out and, sp- and do a quick little presentation. But in, anyways, back to your question about actually now i just forgot what the question was well i was just saying if there's another 2008 coming so you think that there's something on the horizon and i agree with you um i don't i'm not sitting in, in housing oh, and okay that's, you track that's, this stuff more than i do that's where i was that's what i where i was going with that all right i'm not seeing the lack of inventory here oh that's our i mean i'm seeing there the lack is of a lack yeah there's exactly. a lack of inventory so yeah while the markets the financial markets are tanking I mean, that's the the banks are struggling. I think there's going to be a credit crunch. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. I don't I see. And even last time they, there was a credit crunch, there is an overabundance of inventory hit, that hit the market. I mean, things are so bad back then that the the builders, because the builders were building, you know, they were spreading out around the cities and they were building an hour away from the cities and gas prices were so cheap at the time that people were buying the houses an hour, hour and a half away from the cities and making that drive all day, you know, both ways because gas prices were cheap and they could buy new construction for a fraction of what they could buy mm-hmm. an existing home here in the city. And then, so that's what started that. And then the builders just overbuilt because they didn't even slow down. They just kept on building and building and it was cheaper to buy the land way out, you know, 50, you know, 50 miles from the cities, which is what I'm doing. I've been doing now the last few years. We've been buying land and holding on to it, waiting for the development to get out to us. And it's getting there. You know, one one of them right now that we're already talking to, to bring the, the the property to title, bring it to full title to, for developers or the builders. And then I got another one that we we're just looking at. We're, we we're just talking about last week. We're, we're thinking another two years before the development gets out to there at the at least at the pace we're seeing it move out. Okay, so I've been picking up some land for that purposes. But when this happened the last time, as soon as the the markets crashed and gas all gas prices went up and then the markets crashed, everyone dumped their properties out out of the cities. And so there was a ton and this is even before the crash itself actually. So they started dumping their property gas prices went up, people started let, walking away from those properties. They would come back into the cities and the builders were literally leasing those properties to me and other investors, leasing them to us with three-year lease options. So they were holding the financing for us because they couldn't sell them. Mm-hmm. And then I was just listening to a pod, uh, podcast this morning and not a podcast. I think it was this one on the radio. So it was on one of the radio shows, the live radio and the builders there and they're the, the one of the people that called in. The builders there are letting their properties sit as spec homes vacant and they're waiting till January 1st and they're going to get them rezoned as agricultural. For taxes? For tax purposes because they can't sell them. So they want to lower their taxes. And so they're going to just let them, they're letting them sit on January 1st of 2024. They're, they're going to go to this. They've already apparently been doing this and then they get rezoned as agricultural and they're just going to let them sit there and just pay the agricultural taxes until the markets turn around. That sounds terrible. <laughs> because there's like cash they can do this. Right. So there's uh, a thing rented out or something, vacant properties, you know, you know this, but man, those it deteriorates fast. So um hopefully they get a tenant or something. So at least protect the property. But that's an interesting strategy. Yeah, that one kind of I was I scratched my head when I heard him say that one too. But if you think about it from the uh, tax standpoint, if you if you got the holding power your biggest expense sure. now is at that point is the taxes because some of these places and taxes can go from, you know, a track of land being six, like we got 40 acres and I think our taxes are $700 for the 40 acres. Right. Whereas if we go and develop and split those up and just say, just say, if we just chop them up into one acre lots, for example, the taxes on those are going to probably, you know, and you put a house on them, the taxes are going to go from, you know, $700 for the 40 acres to four thousand dollars per acre right so four thousand dollars times four so that's what one hundred and sixty thousand. that's a big chunk of change 
Yeah. So you better be ready to build if you're going to do that. If you're going to do the development piece, you better be ready to go vertical because you're right. The taxes are going to change. The Real Estate Educators Podcast is brought to you by Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial Group is a private lender specializing in value add bridge lending for real estate investors. This is accomplished by raising private money from individual investors and lending that money out in short term real estate loans. Pine operates one of the coolest public mortgage funds on the market because it brings consistency and security to your investment portfolio without giving up on returns. The fund pays its investors a flat 8% return with monthly distributions. There is a low minimum investment and no lockup period. That's right. You can request all of your money back at any time without any fees. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with the Pine Financial Group Public Fund, PFG Fund 5. Find out more at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. But you mentioned that you were doing the, those lease options, and and that's actually how I got started in this business. I was doing strictly lease options. Yeah, and I've did that for years. So you, you were doing those as well. Um, so... But you were not doing, I know you specialize in this and you're very good at it, but you did not do that after the crash when financing was so hard to get. So when were you doing the owner carry stuff? Is it after all of that? Before and after. This object has always been a bit part of my business model since like the late nineties. Okay. You and then you added in. Changed. Now I don't buy on lease options anymore. Because of the back-end financing for the end buyers. So if they want to, totally. because it's changed. Back in the day, they could they could exercise their option. And then I could exercise my option on the same day and they can get their financing. They can't do that anymore. Yeah. And you got to actually There's that 90-day seasoning for most of the financing. Right. Yeah, there's ways around that, but... Um... Like you could, you could use a trust or an LLC. What we're that's what we're seeing, and then the transfer, the title transfer. Well, right. Transfers. So I do all that other stuff. I just don't do a straight out pure sub sandwich lease option. Like yeah, we, totally. Like you we were do doing anymore. back in the day, especially with the builders, we were doing the straight out sandwich lease options. Yep, those are the days, huh? Yes. <laughs> you would double close, and you wouldn't even need to fund it. Right. Yeah, yeah you can't those, do that anymore. So those are yeah. the, those days. Now are I don't gone. do the straight out uh, sandwich lease options, but I do buy. All, all kinds of creative ways and I sell on lease options. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's such a great week. way to do it. I'm closing on one right now this week that that's my exit strategy is I'm going to lease option it to somebody. Yeah. So as long as you're buying in the right areas, because what I've learned here is that certain, certain markets or certain neighborhoods, they don't want to own homes. They it's like a renter's neighborhood, right? So it's easier to just do a straight rental than a lease option. But if you're in a nicer community, lease option is absolutely the way to go because it makes it so easy to manage the property because they right. care about it, right? Yeah. Is that what you found? Oh yeah. Because they're they're it's easier to manage a hundred lease options than it is to rent manage 10 rentals. Oh, for a hundred percent agree. Uh, but I just found it so interesting. I had a I had a one in a little rougher area and I was lease optioning everything. It was it wasn't that that hard to do. But this specific property, for some reason, I was not getting any calls on any of my advertising. And I just switched the sign in the front yard from lease or rent to own to for rent. And my phone started going. I was like, this is so interesting. Yeah, well, that tells you you were in a borderline war zone area. I was in a bad area. Yeah, but we don't have, we don't really have those here like you guys have out in Minnesota. <laughs> well, I found most everyone everywhere has their area, even though to you, you know, to me, it's not a war zone area, but to the people in your area, it's a war zone area. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. It's what we think is a war zone area, but they haven't experienced a true rough area. Like, right. Cause uh, I'm going to experience the same things over here too, is, you know, I, the closer I get to the war zone or the, the the D areas, the less attractive a lease option is and the more straight up, because most of the tenants now are going to be Section 8 tenants. Yeah. And you, what's interesting was speaking about the war zone in Minneapolis, um, you know, the city makes it extremely difficult to do any business there. It's gotten to the point, Mike, where we've had to increase our pricing on deals in the city of Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. because of all the truth and um, truth and housing or all, all the different like 
rules they have and the inspections they have to do, and then they won't inspect. And then they, they keep changing what they're finding in their inspections. And it's like impossible to sell the freaking houses, even though we're trying to do the right thing and clean up the neighborhood. So we're just like, you know, we have a lot of clients that don't even do, they won't even touch the city anymore. That's me. You know, I won't, I, I will not buy in Minneapolis unless I'm getting one heck of a killer deal. Yeah, exactly. So if, We've, I, get, uh, if I get anything under contract, I'm wholesaling it off in Minneapolis. There's yeah. still plenty of people that'll buy in there. I'm just Yeah. It's I just dwindling money. though. It's like why is the government making this so hard? In fact, this was frustrating me so bad that our last success summit we wanted to do a mayor panel and I was going to moderate the panel and I wanted to challenge the mayor of Minneapolis like why do you not want us to help you clean up the neighborhoods? And the just mayor get doesn't some have feedback. a clue cuz it just the mayor doesn't have a clue. He well, he doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. He doesn't run it. Yeah, he's gonna say I, everything you he want. He would have when he got challenged in front of, you know, two hundred no, people. No, no, I we've we've done that. I we've really? we've sued the city, and even the people who are, you know most of the people who are we're dealing with don't know what's really going on behind the scenes because they're just you know the elected officials they don't know. It's just like at the at the highest levels of government, you know, the elected politicians they don't know what's going on. They don't they have no control over what's happening with the government. Same thing. At the what level. happened when you sued them? What 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 was the reaction or what was the feedback from that? Well, we just never we could never raise enough money to keep the lawsuits going. Oh, they fought you. They pushed back. Oh hell yeah, yeah. They have unlimited supply of, of you know legal resources because they well, don't they have, have them. They're just they have attorneys on staff. Yeah, exactly. Right, and we have to we have to fork you know pony up the money. So we had a coalition of a bunch of investors, and we raised a couple hundred thousand dollars, and it wasn't even close to enough. Wasn't oh, jeez. We just got finally got to the point where it was like, "Well, if you guys want to keep on going, you got to raise more money." I'm like, well, what's going to be the end result? And they're like, "Well, no matter how much money you you raise, I don't think the result's going to be any different than it is right now." So you got to make a decision: you want to keep raising money to keep supporting us, or do you guys want to just move on with your lives? So I yeah, just move on, I guess. Move on. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into Minria. So you started in 2002 as a networking meeting, and then now you're one of the largest RIAs in the entire country. Yep. So how did that happen? So 2008, when that when the market crashed after that had crashed, um, and I was in turmoil, I had a whole bunch of, you know, like I said, I had 40, 50 properties that were now going upside down. And I kept coming to the meetings and people would keep coming to the meetings themselves and they would, you know, lean on me for guidance and advice. And I was struggling because, you know, I got to be the positive face of Minria and, you know, encourage mm -hmm. people, you know, give them advice and guidance. And, you know, every single night I would come home from the Minria meeting and I would just be drained because it was ex so exhausting for me to do, listen to everyone's horror stories. And then the most exhausting part was not being able to tell them how bad mine was. I'm like, because all I want to do is say, you know what? You know, yes, as bad as yours sounds, I wish mine was only as bad as yours. Right. You know, but I couldn't do that. So it was, it was exhausting. So I, at that point, and you got to remember too, when I, when I was running Minria, I had the real estate brokerage, I had the property management and I had my um, trustee servicing business. I had all that, and each one of those businesses had a full-time employee. And so what I did is I took part of their time, of each one of those persons' time, to help run the RIA. Because running okay. a successful RIA is very, very labor-intensive. And when the market crashed, I had a, I closed down the property management, the brokerage, and the servicing company that I had no employees. It was just me. So I couldn't run Minria to a level that it needed to be. And... I had before the market crash, I had all these brilliant ideas on how to automate a lot of this stuff and, you know, try to integrate it. And I dumped a lot of money at developers. And I mean, at that point, I probably dumped around forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in developers and never got anything I could use. So oh, yeah. I, yeah, Jeez. and that was before 2008 even happened. So now after 2008, I kept coming to the meetings and people were like, people kept showing it up to the meetings. And it was, it was tough for me because it kept coming. And I kept telling them this is the last one. And then I remember it was in 2009, late, it was middle of 2009, probably late 2009. I said, this is the last one, people. I'm done. I can't go. And they're like, no, please. And then I'm like, nope, we're done. So then like a couple of days before what would have been the next meeting, 
I'm talking to a couple other investors like, well, we'll see you Tuesday night. I'm like, no, you won't. They like, got well, yes, you. you will. I even invited a couple friends. You have to be there. Like, All right. So I showed up and there were 60 people there that night again. I mean, you're changing week. lives. Like people needed that. Yeah. But I needed it too. Yeah, and that's, that's true. And that's where things change is. So that night I finally told people, I'm like, look, I appreciate the support, but I can't do this anymore. It's, dra it's draining me. And I'm spending all my time trying to survive. And so I finally broke down that night and told them what my story was and how bad it was. And it ended up being the best thing I could have ever done. I bet. Because it was so liberating. And they all, I mean, we we all went to the bar that night afterwards. And we everyone was all went through it, man. It's like, we none of us came without scars. I know. It was tough. I'm like, okay. And that ended up being the most emotionally supportive night I had in two years. So I said, okay, I got to. I got to fix this and I'm going to make this work. And I said, how can I do it? I'm like, well, you know what? A lot of this, the struggle isn't actually the meeting. It's all the prep work before the meeting. And it's the communications and it's the announcements and it's the, um, you know, it's simple things like a newsletter, you know, getting the newsletters out and getting the communications out there. So I'm like, I can automate a lot of this stuff. So I literally went down and I went back to my roots was computers and, and tech support and I went and learned programming to build out the system to automate everything. And it was working. So in 2011, so like about a year, year and a half later, one of the national speakers comes through and goes, Mike, what in the world is going on here? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm, I mean, I've been going to this national speaker is like, I've been going to the, the RIAs all across the country trying to help them survive and help them get back on their feet. And every one of them, they tell me they're going to have a hundred people. And I show up and there's 20 people at the door, you know, in, in the seats on, on a good night. There's 20 people, maybe 30 at a, at one of the RIAs that used to bring in 300 people, you might get 30 people. And when you said you're going to have a hundred, hundred people and I'm like, okay, you're going to be like everyone else, but I show up and there's 150 people in the room. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> and she's like, well, we need to figure out what you're doing. So she literally change her flight to for fly back from Minnesota, from Minnesota to Michigan. And she's like, I'm going to stay here and help you try to figure out what's going on. So she, the next day she came to my, my office or to my at the time it was my house. She came here for a couple hours. We sat down. I started showing, she asked questions and I would show her on the website and she'd ask another question. I'd show her and she's like, well, Mike, that's what you've been doing. This is your system. It's what's building it. She said, you need to make this available for everybody. I'm like, no, <laughs> I need to do my own thing. And she's like, no, you need to make it available. Because her RIA in, in Detroit went under. She says, I've thought about starting another RIA. He says, but I know how much work they are. But after seeing what you just showed me, I know I can do it. So she she was my first client. That was in 2011. She's still one of my clients. My next client was another national speaker, said the exact same thing. It was about six months later. Came through, said the exact same thing. And like, can, can I have this for Aria? And I'm like, well, actually, yes, you can. Cause the first one I said, no, but she, you know, I, she changed my mind. So you put it, you so, had a little package then, huh? Yeah. So I built out the the system to help improve not only my life for running the RIA, but improve the lives of everyone who's a member of the RIA by providing them with so much more than they would have ever gotten anywhere else. And then that's what kind of grew into my other company, which is now real estate promo. And so, and that's the pro system. So we now run the back office and the website for over 70 RIAs around the country now, all through that. And is that, okay, so let's talk Talk to me about what specifically that does. Does that get butts in the seats? Like what yes. is, when you say the system, what does that mean? So when you, if you look at Minria, you got the website, that's the whole front end, right? Well, there's a whole back office at 90, you're not even going to see it. Most nobody knows it exists. But it's a fully functional, full-fledged business in a box is really what we created. Where it it incorporates everything from creating, you know, the front end of the website to the back end administrative to the accounting to the email communications. And it's all automated. Like literally all I have to do is create an event and get it set and never have to think about it again. Everything is done for me up right up to the point of the event starting. Including where it tracks, where we do the event registration. We can do it um, live. Now we have all kinds of different ways of doing the registration. It just it's it's so intuitive, and the reporting is unbelievable amount of reporting. 
and it takes what somebody else would have to do, maybe have two or three full-time employees, like administrators running, and like probably four other independent systems having to work together. It's all incorporated into one and one person can do it part-time. Wow. So if, if one of the listeners is a real estate agent, let's say, and they want to build up a little community that they could draw business out of, a lot of RIAs are, the owners of the RIAs are there because they want to network and, and do business with the right. members, right? Yeah. So if there's a real estate agent that wants to do that, what do they just call you? Like, can you help a small little, you know, one person, you just said one person shop, but what if they only want like 20 or 30 people in a group? Can, can you help with that? Um. You know, what are you looking have, for? If that's really all they want, then, you know, meetup is probably all they'll ever need just for a sure. little meetup type of a thing. But what we do is we take the people who did start with the small little meetups and grew it into something a little bit more than that. And they actually want to turn it into a business. Then we take it to the next level. I see. So, so do they have to be a member of the national RIA or are they? No, no. Don't have to be a member. I mean, we got clients that are members of National RIA, and then about half of our clients are, are National RIA, and I'm a member of National RIA. About half of our clients are, and about the other half are not a member of anything. And some of our are members, at least small little groups as well. There's no, yeah, there's no requirement. But our, we're very niched. Uh, it's the system is built for the real estate investor community. So it's it's not like we can just, you know, like I just had somebody um, reach out to me from. Uh, an international um, karate organization where they do really? events. And we, we were actually, we were talking to see if I, we couldn't help them. I'm like, but it we're so there's so much integrated to real estate that we'd have to rebuild a system and strip out the real estate side of it to make it work for them. But otherwise without the real estate side of it, it was exactly what they needed as well. Cause it's an event management and, and contact management system all built into one. Wow, maybe there's an opportunity here for you. Well, there's Expand always an opportunity into, into uh, martial arts, huh? Well, yeah, I, I've thought about that, but you know what? I'm I'm focused on the real estate, so that's yeah, where totally. I don't want to I don't want to build this out to a business for everybody. I want it's the only reason I'm even building it is because it serves my needs. If it didn't serve my needs, I wouldn't have the time or the passion to put into it to do justice to any other clients. And you're still doing your own deals, right? I mean, you right. still love real estate, so right. Real estate's my 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 passion. You know, and the only reason I'm still doing it is because I build out Minria. So as it benefits Minria members, it now benefits everyone else in the real RIA community that's using our system. All right. So Minria. So if someone's listening that hasn't heard of it, it's not it's part of the National Association of Real Estate Investors and it's a twins in the Twin Cities. And it's once a month meetings, but you have a whole bunch of other advantages to it. Take well, us through a whole what, bunch of other re, uh, events going on every month too. So you, right, you have the one main meeting, and then you have all the other events and you have all the other advantages. So tell us, like, if someone hasn't heard, which surprised me honestly, but if they haven't heard of Minria, what is it? How do they get involved? How do you help them? Well, first of all, um, I would recommend just coming to our our next main monthly meeting. Like like Kevin said, it's the first Tuesday of every single month. Um, just go to the Minria website, mnrea.com. Um, find our next main monthly meeting and then register for a free guest pass and come and check us out. You know, that's, that's how I recommend everyone start out. Um, most people come to their first meeting as a free guest. Just give us, you know, check us out. And over 50% of them sign up as a member by the next month. Just because yeah, we provide what you are. If you're in real estate, we provide pretty much what you're looking for. Right. I'm I'm surprised to hear that it's only half, honestly, because I I, I suppose the other half that don't That's a sign pretty up, high percentage because you get a lot of people that are just curious. I know, I know, but it's yeah. so affordable and the value is so high. Like so I'm just thinking the half that doesn't, maybe they're not really serious about being an investor or something. That, that yeah, that's what it is. The other half that doesn't, but now for us, that's that's a higher percentage than you're going to hear part of me in any other RIA around the country because it's typically going to be about twenty percent or less. That seems crazy. And we're we're at the fifty percent because well, first of all, if this is your first time experiencing us too, I think well, is this going to be another one of those seminar sales pitches? 
Right. So people have that that negative opinion because they've expo- been exposed to it somewhere else already. So they may think that we're one of those, but that's not it. That's not what we're all about. It's not, but there's even, even people that sell from the stage provide value one. And two, a lot of times the programs are very good. Like you and I wouldn't be where we are without programs. You said you, the program on stocks is what kind of got you even going. Yeah. So for for that excuse, like, I don't want to be sold to, that is so ridiculous. And I do hear that. I'm sorry to go out on a little rant here, but I hear that all the time too. And I think that's crazy because what, how are you going to be successful unless you get around people that are successful and learn from people that are successful? And isn't there time to put that program to get together valuable? Right. Right. I mean, you don't have to buy it, learn what you can and then go home if you want, but my goodness, I'm sorry to go on that little rant there. No, I, I'm you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> and cause that, that's yeah. what we're here for. That's my goal. I'm just, you, you just asked the question. I just told you what the honest answer was. Yeah, that's well, interesting. So 50%. I think um, I think that the anybody that wants to be a real estate investor, especially if they're starting out, has to become a part of the community. And there's no better way to be part of the community than a RIA. You know, if you're in Minnesota and you have not attended a MinRIA meeting, please do that for God's sake. Yes, and it's free. Come on, and it's free, it and it's free. Oh, I got a few more questions for you. So what's what what's next, man? What are you what are you working on? Uh. We've like, like I think I alluded to a little bit earlier. We're look, holding some land. We're right now. We're in the talks with uh, another another group of investors, or that will they bring tracks of land to title and get them ready for the builders. So we got one of them now on the west side of the cities that the development is getting close to that, and there's still no inventory out there. If the properties you know, if they're priced right, they're gone in a couple of days, a week at the most. So but we, you know, we have been toying with, is this the right time or the wrong time to do it? And that's, that's the million dollar question right now. Do you wait or do you just right. go ahead and do it? And we're like, if once we start, we, we have to go for it. So we're trying to yeah, so. do that cost analysis right now. Is it the right time? Because it's going to take a year year and a half to get the properties ready for you know a developer mm-hmm. or a builder so where's the market going to be in a year and a half is it going where a lot of people think that it's going to crash and you know nobody's going to be able to buy and now we're, we've got a property that's all ready for development but there's no buyers because nobody can get the financing and now we're stuck with those high property taxes because the taxes are yeah. going to go up even they're not going to go you know, even if we don't build just getting them you know getting a lot all separated out and getting utilities and the streets and everything else brought in. Yeah. Those taxes are going to go up on top of it. And we put out all that money because we have to pay that cash. So is it worth putting all that out right now and letting it sit for another couple of years for the market to come around? So I've done a, I've done some development. Um, in fact, I'm still in a deal that I got in 10 years ago, which that's a story. Um, it's very speculative, as you know. Um, I choose not to do that now. I'm more of a cash flow guy. I'd prefer income. Um, but on the on this specific strategy, have you thought about um, not doing the the horizontal development at all and just getting all your approvals and then flipping out of it? Uh, we're starting to see more developers do that. No, I haven't thought of that. I've because the hardest part of the development game is the city approvals, right? Just getting that approval is the hardest part. And that adds the most value. You don't have to be the one that actually puts in the curb and gutter and the utilities and all of that. Hmm. Okay. So there's another twist to our conversation <laughs> we got to look at now. Unless, because it sounds like they're single family homes. So if you have a builder yeah. in tow that wants to go vertical, if you have that, then it probably does make sense to do all the infrastructure to get the lots ready. Um, but without a vertical builder, I would just, I'm just throwing it out there, maybe consider just flipping out of it to a, to a developer that would do that for you, especially in times when it's a bit shaky, you know? Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. the one thing. And the other thing is I'm just looking for more cash flowing properties. I've actually been picking up a few of these uh, low interest rate loans, like the one I'm closing on, or I was supposed to close on last week. Hopefully we get closed this week, 2.75% yeah. FHA loan on it. Hell Yeah. We're going to start seeing, I, you agree with me, we're going to start seeing a lot more of these subject twos and a lot more of these lease options, a lot more of the contract for deeds. All of these things are going to start coming back up again. Yes. We're already seeing a lot more. I'm getting, I'm probably getting three or four of them thrown at me a week right now. 
Oh, that's amazing. Now they're not, most of them are not still not good deals because of other reasons, the interest rates too high or whatever, or they want to get paid. You know, they want to, Oh, I want my eligibility release within, you know, like five years. Well, I can't guarantee that. No, you can't. No, I've been there. Don't do that. Yep. Um, Okay, a couple more, then we'll close out here. I know we both are super busy and I already appreciate the time you've given me, but one of the questions I really like to ask is, especially someone as, as successful as you have been, Mike, is uh, what has real estate done for you? Oh my God, it's changed my life. It's, it's allowed me to, well, here's, you familiar with the life and air? Oh yeah. Concept? Okay. Yep. So I know there's a lot Love of people out book. there that have not been exposed to life and air if you get a chance to look into life and air, right? Cause it, it's changed. It changes the way you, th- the average entrepreneur thinks about business and life balance mix. Right. So for me, what's really changed since life and air came into my life and what real estate has allowed me to do is, you know, me, I'm passionate about riding motorcycle. In fact, that's mm-hmm. what I did. I went last week, I was up on Pikes Peak and Evans uh, and on Evan Mount Evans. Oh, that's awesome. Two days in a row. I mean, that, that doesn't get any better than that. And then last year I was on Mount Washington up in Maine. So it, riding motorcycle is my passion. And I would not be able to do that if it wasn't for real estate. So I it's chills every time. Yeah. It's, it allows, allows an entrepreneur who came, allows the average, who, if you're an entrepreneurial type of a person, it's the easiest, it, even though there's still challenges and it's not get rich quick overnight type of a thing, but it is the easiest gateway to financial freedom than anything else on, out there. I don't care what, what it is. If you're starting from scratch and you're all on your own, it is the easiest way to get there. There are some struggles, especially in the beginning. Some people have, you know, get lucky and they get that beginner's luck and they get that first awesome deal, but it's never going to be like that for the rest of your deals but what once you figure it out and you get the good cash flow system going up and going uh, real estate is truly the the way to financial freedom for most people and you mentioned in that answer something that stuck out to me which if you're going at it alone which i do agree with a lot of people feel it's it's a very it can be a lonely business which is another reason to join aria but nobody really makes it alone right we always have people around us that help us and lift us up who who in your life would you attribute the most to your success, do you think? A local member here that I met when I was a real estate agent before I lost my license. And then when he found out that I was losing my license and I told him I was going to become a broker and go get my own broker, he's like, well, you should just come work with me and you and I partner up. And because I'd done a couple, bought him a couple, you know, not bought him. I was the agent for him on probably half a dozen deals over the the year or two before that. And he's like, you should just come, you and I should just start working together. What was his name? His name was Gary. Garrett. Yep. So Gary. Shout out to Garrett. Gary. Shout out to Gary. Yeah. So Gary came to me and said, let's partner up. So I did. So after I let, you know, went, started working and get my own broker's license. um, I started working with him and we started partnering the deals. He had the money. I had the time. And so we were partners for probably a good three, four years and did several, re- quite a few rehabs. And then we ended up having, um, you know, we would split some of the rental properties. And so by the time we got all said and done, uh, after about three or four years, we each had about 10 rentals that we had picked up and, you know, we'd buy them, fix them up. Then one would be his and the next one would be mine. And we'd go back and forth. And then we would rehab a bunch of properties in the meantime. And so if it wasn't for him, I don't know that I'm not saying that I wouldn't be where I'm, where I'm at, but I don't think I would have gotten there as quick as I did. But when I say, when I say starting out alone, yeah, you're you're right. You do need support, but I do see that most people who want to become real estate, I also see this because they're also the independent type of a person who wants to try to figure things out on their own. Interesting. So this is yeah. one of the easiest ways for you to do that. Whereas like, if you want to try to get into some other industries, you're not going to be able to do it because the amount of cash that's required, you're going to have to bring in a cash partner. Whereas with real estate, you can start. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't start with money without money. Um, in fact, that is one of my, my favorite sayings is, and not everyone agrees with me, 
But one of my sayings is if you can't figure out how to make money without money, you will never be able to make money with money. And so my, my, my point behind that is, is you need to figure out the struggles without the money so that when the money does finally come, that you're not wasting that money on other. In fact, I send a lot of people to you, to you, Kevin, that come to Minria and they're brand new. They're, they, they, they got a boatload of cash. Maybe they got an inheritance or they've just, you know, they got a buyout from their other company and now they're not working and, you know, real estate's been in the back of their mind. So they've got money and they come to, the, to us and they'll say, well, what do you think about this deal? And they'll run the numbers. And I'm like, this is not a good deal. And I tell people all the time, look, if this is your first or couple, first or second deal and you have money, don't, do not put your money into the deal. Go call up Pine Financial, call up a private lender, call up any hard money lender. I don't care who it is and use them. Well, that's so expensive using the interest rate. That's the cheapest education you're going to ever get. Because if they say no, don't do the deal. If they say no, there's a reason for it. And learn from that. And don't say, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm better. No, they've got a hell of a lot more experience than you have. And that's why I say use them because they're going to tell you no if you can't. And if you and if they say yes, okay, and they're going to fund the deal for you, yeah, you're going to pay a little bit more on the interest rate than you would have had to pay on your own. But you're going to get that support that you're not going to have if you put the money into the deal on your own. So use them for your first couple of deals and just part, use that, you know, chalk that up as part of your education. And then once you're confident that you're now, you now know what you're doing, now go put your money into the deal. I love it. We're going to use that as a title of the episode. If you can't figure out how to make money without money, you ain't going to make it with money. Right. If you don't know how to make, that, if, you can, if you can't make money, <laughs> learn how to make money without money, you'll never make it with it. Yeah, I have that's, watched that's so title. many people come into this business with money and lose it all because they they ignored the advice and they didn't oh, want to pay it. for the education. I totally see that. So sad. Very. All right, Mike. How do we get a hold of you? Um, easiest way to find me is through Minria or Real Estate Promo. So either minria.com or realestatepromo.com. Um, I'm not big on social media anymore. I, I stay away from that kind of stuff because, you know, um, I, I get into these rants and then- Get you in trouble, it, huh? Well, it gets me in trouble, but what it does is it, it, it steals my focus and my time. And then I start responding to stuff. And then I start going all, all these rabbit holes. And next thing I know, I've wasted, I've wasted hours on social media. So I don't do that anymore. I get, I do get in there and post a few things every now and then, but I don't get involved in it much anymore. So I know people reach out to me all the time. It's like, well, I reached out to you on Facebook and I haven't heard from you. I was like, well, let me grab my phone. Well, God dang, you did. That was two and a half weeks ago. Sorry. <laughs> I just haven't looked at my phone <laughs> for social media, but social media, I literally ignore it on my phone. That's funny. All right. So last time I came out and I spoke at Minria, you were not there, which was made me sad. So I think I'm coming out this summer. July, August, one of those two. Are we going to get a beer? Of course. You're going to be there. I hope be you're there. there. All right. Well, I so appreciate, Mike, you coming out. Um, I know we're running up uh, against it here, so we got to get going, but appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. I love this. So anytime, love to come back. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh, yeah. And tell a friend.